0: All right, we have arrived at what seems to be one of the most skipped over passages in Ephesians, maybe in the entire New Testament. I I don't know about you, but as someone who grew up going to a megachurch for 20 years and then realizing that scripture was rarely ever properly taught and walked through, this was definitely a passage I never heard of growing up the pastors love talking about the verses before, right? The children obey your father and mother. is the first commandment with the promise. And they love the verses after, talking about the armor of God. But dang, I mean, when it got to the slave thing, right in between those two, they just never touched it. And it's really unfortunate because when I went through this weird period in my walk with God where I was, I was open to listening to arguments against christianity and they seemed compelling to me not because they actually had any compelling substance but because i was never actually taught the bible (laughs) like just on a surface level and so when i would hear these arguments from atheists claiming that the bible supported slavery and they would use this passage that we're going to be covering today i had no idea that this existed in the Bible. I was never told this, I had no idea how to even properly understand its meaning in order to defend the, the faith. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to look through this passage for what it is in context to understand what is being said and the implications of Paul's messaging here in Ephesians 6. So, like we always do, let's go ahead and read through the whole passage and then we'll break it down verse by verse. So, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. And this is what Paul says starting in verse 5 Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. All right, so let's start here in verse 5. Once again, Paul says, servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So the first thing that we need to understand is the very first word of this little passage here, which is bondservants, or some of your translations will say slaves. And I'm reading from the ESV, and it translates it as bondservants, and I think they're doing it to try and message a, a lighter tone to what's being said. But when we look at the original Greek word, this is the Greek word doulos, and it can refer to a slave as we often understand it in the American West, right? Like somebody that is taken against their will as property, seen as less human. But it also is used to talk about servants, like people who willfully subject themselves to serve somebody else. And so this this word can be used in Paul's context to speak about a person who is enslaved against their will or in the Jewish kind of Old Testament context as somebody who cannot pay a debt. So for instance, when we look at the Old Testament slavery laws, when when the word slave, English word slave gets used in the Old Testament laws, it's not speaking about Israel owning slaves that were seen as less human or property against their will. It's speaking of debt slavery. And so it is Someone who is unable to pay a debt that they owe to someone else, and so one, one way of recourse that they have is to work for this person, to become their permanent servant. And in the Old Testament, there are laws that every seven years, even if the person's not able to work off their debt within that time, you have to let them go for free. It's a period of seven years. so you could you could have had a debt you couldn't pay, went to work for someone. For thirty days, as their quote-unquote slave or servant, willfully doing so, and if that seven-year period falls on that time frame, you could be out in thirty days, debt free. So there's there's different understandings to how the word slave gets used in scripture and how it's understood in this cultural context, and also this word doulos that gets translated as slave or servant, it's used in the New Testament by the apostles. They they speak of themselves as doulos, as slaves or servants to Jesus Christ, recognizing him as master and Lord. So with this in mind, it would be unwise for us to assume that Paul has a particular meaning of this word here in mind, because simply put, we just don't know the exact context for which Paul is speaking in, and I think that is by design. Because we have to acknowledge the reality that Paul is writing to a group of people in a, in a Roman Greco context who live in a culture where there are indentured slaves against their will and willful servants. And as we look at the rest of this passage, we can see that God's wisdom applies perfectly to both situations. So with that in mind, let's reread verse 5. Slaves, servants, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So, one thing I need to reiterate, and this is a point that I, I made in the last three episodes, is that Paul is living in a Greco-Roman culture where the master slash the man of the household was given full authority and rule over the members of his home. This included the wife, children, and his servants or slaves. And with with this authority, he could do whatever he wanted to his household. They were, in a sense, his property. And because of this, women, for instance, were used and abused, as were the children, and especially the slaves. So when Paul, who is issuing this new household code under the lordship of Jesus Christ, he is now addressing the women and the children individually. He's giving them agency and recognizing them as important partners and members in God's plan through the home. And the same thing goes for the servants or slaves in this new Christian movement. Paul talks directly to the servants and slaves and calls on them to obey their masters. Now, now pause. Some of you at this point may be thinking the same thing that I used to think. Which is, hey, uh, we today fully acknowledge that slavery is wrong. It's abhorrent, it's evil. So, why doesn't Paul just come out and say that slavery is wrong and it should be stopped? Shouldn't he have just told
1: the slaves to fight back for their freedom because slavery is evil and we should fight evil?
0: And I think there's a great passage. From Paul's own mouth, that addresses this concern that we have. It's in 1 Timothy 6, in verse 1. Paul says this also regarding bondservants and slaves. He says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants or slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor,
1: so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So, Paul's goal in what he says to Timothy. It is very clear as a new religion,
0: because Christianity at this point was a very new religion. It was considered fringe, cult-like. Today, we don't view it that way. It's the most popular religion with the most practicing people. But in Paul's time, this is a very new movement. And this is a movement that is surrounded by pagan religions that is also within an emperor-ruled nation with a powerful military trained to snuff out any scent of treason and insurrection. And because of this, it's, it's not just physical suicide, but ideological, religious suicide to cause or to stage anything that they would view as a rebellion to the fabric of their society. And this would be the logical outcome If Paul just flat out said, hey, slavery is wrong, slaves, you can leave, you can disobey your masters and rebel against them. And if this happened, this would cause the entire Christian movement to be destroyed before it can even get off the ground. It would cause
1: the dishonoring of the name of God and his teaching in the process. Paul's goal here in this hostile environment that he's writing in was to slowly but
0: surely change the hearts and minds of people and to do so in the most Christ-like way possible. So what Paul does is he calls on the slaves to obey their masters, not because slavery is good or that it should be permissible, but he calls on them to obey because in their current situation, it is better to give no ammunition to those who have the ability and power and will to destroy you. So he says slaves, hey, obey your masters. Do so with a sincere heart. Look at
1: it this way guys, you're you're obeying and serving Jesus Christ first. And once again, these commands to submit And obey.
0: They're not tied to submitting and obeying to a human being because they're superior or they should be allowed to own you or rule over you. That's not the case at all. The these commands to submit and obey throughout these last few passages that we've gone through, they are tied to our reverence and submission to Jesus. That's very important for us to keep in mind. Let's go on to verse 6. Paul says this. Don't do this by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ,
1: doing the will of God from the heart. So when you serve and obey, Paul says, hey, do a good job. Don't just start
0: working hard when you see the master stroll by, and don't try and just look good just to be a people pleaser. A modern way of saying this would be, don't be a brown noser. What Paul does is he ties their work and honestly, our
1: work, everyone's work. He ties this work ultimately and firstly to us being slaves to Jesus. He says we're bondservants of Christ.
0: That is why we are called to work hard and honestly because every single one of us is a slave. And we're a slave to Jesus Christ, we are his servants. And it's, in, it's impossible. To escape his sight, it's impossible for us to just do eye service and, and be a people pleaser to God Almighty, who is all knowing and all seeing and, and omnipresent. So let's just work hard and do the will of God all the time, since he can see us all the time. On to verse 7, he says this rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Interesting. You see, Paul's message to those who are enslaved or bought as servants, his message is to serve
1: with the foundation of honoring God and not man. And the message is this, you are not serving
0: another human because you're lesser. There are circumstances that come about in this fallen world that cannot be avoided or undone. That's what happens when sin invades God's perfect creation, but your purpose, regardless of your circumstance, is to serve and obey God above all else. And it may not make sense, and it may seem unfair. And especially in Paul's time, there were people who were enslaved that, regardless, are being called to sacrifice their freedom in order to
1: show their evil masters the love of God. All throughout history, God's people are called to do things that seem unjust and unfair. Just look
0: at the first 500 years of church history. If you were a professing Christian in the the genesis of the Christian
1: movement, you could probably bet on being beaten, tortured, murdered. Being pressured to denounce your belief in
0: Jesus Christ and if you didn't, you'd be thrown in the middle of a coliseum surrounded by a bunch of evil screaming human beings watching you fight a wild animal or them forcing you to fight another believer who wouldn't denounce Jesus as well to the death because they just view you as your toy. These things in the early years of the Christian movement were par for the course. You were called to
1: sacrifice your life and your safety because you wanted to follow Jesus. And this is the context that Paul is writing in. But it's because of these bold followers of Jesus who
0: were willing to lose their freedom who were willing to be subjected to evil authorities, who were willing to be martyred and murdered and tortured
1: for their love of God. Because of that, Jesus and his word and his example on earth spread like wildfire. The gospel spread like wildfire to what it is today. In a world with evil people, the good will suffer. And if the good are not suffering, chances are they're befriending evil. Think about that for a moment. If the good are not suffering, the chances are that they are befriending
0: evil in some way, shape, or form. And that is the undertone for this entire passage. Let's go on to verse 8. Paul says this, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So Paul here wraps up his message to the bondservants, to slaves.
1: He, he wraps up this message to those believers with this. He says, you may never see an earthly
0: reward for your prudence and obedience to God's word here on earth. But you can rest assured that whether you are a slave or a free man on earth, under the worldly systems, you will receive from God
1: what you gave throughout your life. There is a reward for you, and the the obedience that you give here on earth, even when it seems unfair, will be rewarded in heaven.
0: Now, I want to focus here on verse 9. Because this is where the commands for the masters come into play. And I want us to notice this very subtle but logically profound implication of Paul's words to the masters. He says this in verse 9 Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Masters, do the same to them. What exactly? is the same thing that the masters are supposed to do towards their slaves. Well, they're they're called to do the same thing towards their slaves that the slaves are called to do for their masters. Paul is referencing the commands he just gave the slaves a few verses before. Things like understanding that the masters are also slaves to Jesus, that doing the will of God from the heart is something you should be doing, Rendering service with a good will to the Lord and not to man, the, these commands the masters are also called to do to the slaves. R- remember let's look back. remember back in Ephesians five where Paul breaks down the effects that the Holy Spirit has on believers. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly recommend it. It'll help you understand where we're going here. but back in chapter five and verse twenty one, Paul says that as believers when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And remember that this statement of submitting to one another, putting each other first, is the foundation of Paul's commands for the household code, because he immediately follows with wives submit to your husbands, and you do so out of reverence for Jesus. And then husbands, self-sacrificially love your wives out of reverence for Jesus because Christ loves you. Children, obey your parents. Paul says, do this in the Lord. Once again, this command, you're called to obey your parents out of reverence for Jesus. And now he gets to the slaves. He says, slaves, obey your masters. Do goodwill out of reverence for Jesus. Every single one of these commands that Paul gives in the household code under God hinges on the Spirit's influence in chapter 5, verse 21 of submitting to one another because we first love and submit to Jesus. So if every single one of the members in this household has a command that immediately follows with submitting to Jesus in submitting to others out of reverence for Jesus, it would then be really weird if the only group in this household that doesn't have to submit out of
1: reverence for Jesus is the masters. But you can guess that, yes, they do have to still submit to fellow believers
0: out of reverence for Jesus. Paul reminds the Christian masters, he says, hey, quit threatening your slaves because Jesus is both of your masters. Like you like you think you're a master over this person, but guess what? You have a master as well. And that master is master over both of you. And he plays no favorites. The, the scripture says that there is no partiality with him. So what that means is this, is that the master is now being told, hey, um, there, You have a master. You have a Lord. He's far more powerful, has far more authority than you will ever have over any of the people that you have authority over right now. And this master is not only the master of your slave, but he's also your master. And guess what? You've elevated yourself above your slave as their master for so long, but under Christ, there is no partiality with him. Jesus doesn't have a favorite. You're
1: not Jesus' favorite over the slave. You're both equal. And if that's the case, what right do
0: equal slaves under Jesus have to claim lordship over the other when both parties, the slave and the master, already have a master, which is Jesus? Do you see what Paul is doing here? If the Christian master follows these things to his logical conclusion, then he can no longer own slaves as property and properly follow Jesus at the same time. Those things cannot mesh. The master would be called to submit to Jesus. The master would be called to submit to his slave who is also a believer in Christ because we are called to Submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus in Ephesians 5.21. Do you see the clever trick that Paul is pulling here? It's it's brilliant. The goal for Paul in his context is to spread the gospel under the nose of the Roman government, not doing it in some secret way, but that there are there are certain things that if are stated explicitly in scripture would immediately cause the Christian movement to be snuffed out. So what Paul does here in his writings, he never explicitly just says, hey, slaves, rebel, don't obey your owners. He doesn't say that for two reasons. One, because even, even if we wanted Paul to say, hey, slaves, disobey your masters and rebel and fight and kill them,
1: that, that doesn't follow the example that Jesus gave us. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't follow it. Jesus did not live that way. He did not call us to live that way. But here's the second reason
0: that if Paul just flat out explicitly said slaves disobey and rebel, it would have tipped off the Roman officials. So what Paul does is he just simply states for all the parties, slave and master, hey, follow Jesus and submit to Jesus. And then when that takes place, you'll understand that in, in Jesus, who you have now given yourself over as a servant to, there is no longer slave or free among you. As we're told in Galatians 3 verse 28, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ. And what Paul is saying here is that, yeah, sure, on earth, how you guys have set things up, you have separated. And you have placed hierarchies in power and authority over one another based off of these groups of division that you have created. But in Jesus, the actual Lord and Master, he says, there is no division of power and authority and status as a
1: human being. You're all equal. You all submit to Jesus. And so as as a as a believer, who would also be a master at this point in time,
0: if they're actually being honest and submitting to Jesus, they have no other conclusion to come to than to come to the conclusion that owning a slave, owning another human being as your property or ruling over them is completely and utterly wrong. Because it is impossible to have power and authority, and a higher status as a human being over another person, while also submitting to them out of reverence for Jesus, while also being a slave yourself to Jesus, while
1: following his command to love others as you love yourself. It's impossible. And because of this Christian message
0: that is what led to slavery being abolished and being seen as morally evil and it didn't it didn't take a deep study for us to come to that conclusion it's just is very apparent and very clear and this is the message that paul is is telling them he's just leading them down this path so i hope with this you understand better what this passage means in its context and the implications of it the bible is not condoning slavery it's not supporting slavery it's not teaching that slavery is good paul is writing in a context that is very hostile and his main goal is to get the gospel on its feet and out to all the gentile nations but he doesn't just leave the slavery thing to the side to you know let them figure out themselves No, no no he calls the masters out explicitly says, quit threatening your slaves. Do unto your slaves what they have been called to do unto you and recognize that both you and your slave are actually slaves to Jesus and he doesn't pick any favorites, which means you two are equal.